Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. This is the Friday broadcast. And as I say every Friday, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I hope that you will be in your place of worship this weekend. And if you don't have a home to worship, why don't you come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church? We are at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South, and uh, we are looking forward to seeing you at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. And we are still doing the drive-in church at 9 a.m. And uh, I know we've had a a spike here a little bit with this COVID virus. And uh, some people are still a little nervous about going inside. And we had a really good crowd last Sunday for drive-in church. So you just pull in at 9 o'clock, drive toward the back of the parking lot. Our parking lot attendants will be out there. They'll give you the bulletin and they'll help you get parked. And uh, you just roll down your window. And uh, if it's too hot or too cold, you can keep your windows up, keep your engine running. And uh, you can tune in to 104. Point nine, and uh, that station is just a local band just for that particular service, okay? Love to see you on Sunday either at 9 o'clock or at 11 o'clock inside. Well, I want to finish up a few things that we left off from yesterday, and we didn't quite finish up the last point talking about how can we overcome offenses. We talked about, first of all, you got to be open to the truth, right? And uh, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I talked about the fact that many of us only want to be moderately honest. We don't want to be painfully honest. But you got to be painfully honest when you examine why you are offended. Now, I've discovered something about offenses. Oftentimes, offenses are driven from a misunderstanding. Oftentimes, we get stuck on something. And because we're stuck on something, we view everything around that area that we're stuck. And many times, it's because we're tired. There's this old acrostic, HALT. H-A-L-T. It's time to halt when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, or when you're tired. Uh, Those are not the good times to make life-altering decisions, okay? Uh, You just wait. Wait till you're not hungry. Wait till you're not angry. Make sure you cool down. Uh, Make sure that you're not lonely. And and make sure you're not tired, okay? Uh, Get plenty of rest before you make a decision that is going to be really impacting uh, your future. So be open to the truth. We talked about removing that mask, okay? Because we set up these walls when we get offended. We let nobody get into the full impact of who we are. And then we talked about being patient and remaining without taking revenge. That was the last point. You know, think about revenge. Revenge is not what God's called us to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says just the opposite. It tells us not to take revenge. Because when we take revenge, God cannot avenge us. You know, we step in and do something that God was going to take care of. So it's unrighteous for God's servants to avenge themselves. It's righteous for God to avenge his servants. So when we think about this whole point of not taking revenge, one of the ways that we know we're not vengeful or not trying to get revenge is that we're loyal to God and is measured by loyalty to God's leaders. And I will look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. And uh, this particular chapter deals with David and Saul and how Saul has been threatening David and wanting to take David out. And David now has this opportunity to take out the king. Now, we pick up the story, verse number six of 1 Samuel 24. And he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went into that cave, that's King Saul, to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, Hey, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands, 
for you to deal with him as you wish. Now, isn't this amazing how David's men took what the Lord said and misapplied it? And now many times we do this ourselves. We've got to be very careful with this one, right? Uh, David's men says, hey, remember when the Lord spoke to you and he says, I'm going to give your enemies into your hands? Well, they assume that God was talking about Saul. And they assumed that this was the time for that to take place. Uh, then David crept in unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. But after David did this, his conscience was stricken because he cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. And then he says, the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed one of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went on his way. And David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said, Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? So this is a fascinating event that we see recorded here. But we discover that David was loyal to God. And was also loyal to God's leaders. Now, you cannot be loyal to God when you're being disloyal to God's leaders. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says that God has set members in the body just as he has pleased. So when we're thinking about overcoming an offense and getting victory over offense, being loyal to godly leaders is so important. Now, my experience is many times when we get offended, we distance ourselves from godly leaders. Instead of embracing them and seeking their guidance and their prayers and their wisdom in that situation, we pull ourselves away from them. When we think about how we can overcome an offense, it's something else that we've got to do. We've got to sometimes let the offense die. Proverbs 26 says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearers, strife ceases. Uh, sometimes we say more by saying less, and we just let the offense die. Don't keep speaking to it, because the more we speak into it, the worse it becomes. There's another thing you got to do to overcome offenses. You got to remain firmly planted in the church. Psalm 92.13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires, and he rages against all wise judgment. Also, as we are overcoming an offense, we should be ministering grace and love to somebody else. I don't get a little pity party going on and saying, woe is me, and pulling yourself back from everything. In Philippians 1.9-11, Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You know, there's a command that is given to us in Romans 14. That is, we're to pursue peace with all men, so that we may edify one another. I want you to know something. This statement may be hard for you to receive, and you may not even agree with it at first, but I think if you kind of ponder on it, you'll see where I'm coming from. It is more important to help a stumbling brother than it is to prove that I am right. Let me say that again. It's more important 
to help a stumbling brother than it is to prove that I am right. I hope that this has encouraged you today. I want to transition in our broadcast today, and I want to transition to the subject of the power of a Christ-centered church. The power of a Christ-centered church. Matt Woodley is the managing editor for Preaching Today, and and he shares this story during the days of the Desert Fathers. It's a fourth-century Christian movement that tried to renew the church. A young man one day came to a spiritual mentor who was kind of like a father figure. His name was St. Sisos. The young man blurted out, I was hurt by my brother in Christ, and now I'm angry. I want to avenge myself. The older man tried to comfort him, but he also gave him a gentle warning. He says, don't do that, my child. Rather, leave vengeance to God. But the young Christian refused to listen. Instead, he became even angrier and loudly said, I will not quit until I get even. When the older gentleman saw that reason alone wouldn't change the young man's heart, he quietly said, Let us pray, brother. After a pause, he offered up this following prayer. Oh God, apparently we no longer need you to take care of us, since we can now avenge ourselves. From now on, we can manage our own lives without your help. When the young man heard this prayer, he immediately repented. Have mercy on me, God, he cried out. I am not going to fight my brother anymore. You see, when we step in and avenge ourselves, we're in essence saying, God, I no longer need you to take care of this situation. I got it all under control. I can manage my own life without your help. In his book entitled Head Game, Arthur Timothy Dowes writes, PSYOPS stands for Psychological Operations. It's a form of warfare as old as the art of war itself. And an early example of this can be found in the battle strategies of Alexander the Great. On one occasion, when his army was in full retreat from a larger army, he gave orders to his armorers to be constructive and oversized with breastplates and, and helmets that would fit men seven or eight feet tall. As his army would retreat, he would leave these items for the pursuing army to discover. When the army would find the oversized gear, they would be demoralized by the thought of fighting such giant soldiers, and they would abandon their pursuit. When I think about the enemy, I think many times, as followers of Christ, we have allowed the enemy to be oversized in our thinking. I want you to know that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, you are this rock, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. I want you to know that the church is a group of called-out, redeemed Christ followers coming together for the common purpose of discipleship and fellowship and worship and evangelism and ministry and prayer. The church is both local and universal. So why does Satan come and attack the church when he knows it's indestructible? Because he knows that although he cannot kill it, he can harm it. And he does it by working from within, 
by hurting the ones who are part of it. Satan is attempting to hurt Christ. He doesn't care about us. He wants to hurt Christ. You know, if you've ever dealt with a stubborn wart, you can sympathize with a 38-year-old British security guard, Sean Murphy. He suffered from a very painful wart on the joint of his finger that just wouldn't go away. He tried everything from compound A to compound Z, not to mention compound W. Nothing seemed to work. It just kept coming back. Unable to deal with the nagging pain, he decided to take some drastic measures in the form of a UK telegraph that he called the Beretta Treatment. After kicking back several pints of beer, he laid his finger flat in front of himself, fingers spread apart, and then he fixed it to the barrel of a Beretta shotgun, and he shot that digit, shot his finger right off. The treatment seemed to do the trick. The wart was gone, but so was most of his finger. Murphy says he has no regrets. He is happy to be rid of the pain, even though he faced a 15-year prison term for firearms infractions. In the end, the judge settled on a suspended prison sentence and ordered him to complete 100 hours of community service, as well as to pay a $100 fine. This, however, may not be the end, as Mr. Murphy's troubles continue to go with him, because now he has no finger. Now, as you think about that, time will tell whether the wart returns. I want you to know that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And as we look at how the church has been a group of called-out, redeemed Christ followers, God has a plan for His church as well. Well, let's look at some of the churches found in the book of Revelation. Uh, the first church that we'll look at is the church at Ephesus. Now, one of the problems that the church of Ephesus had is that it was a church that battled with complacency. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, so that you may be filled with all fullness of God. That's Ephesians' account of the church of Ephesus. But then when we get to the book of Revelation, we discover they had some issues. John the Revelator said, recording the words of Christ, I know your deeds, and your toil, and your perseverance, and that you cannot endure the evil men, and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not, and you found them to be false. You have that perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So here's some things they're strong in. They were a busy church that was strong in keeping business uh, together. You know, this business was not condemned. Uh, churches that are blessed by God are busy places, but they are not to be in love with the tasks of busyness, but with the people and with Christ. The church of Ephesus had the works to back up their faith. You know, God never goes to the lazy or to the idle when he wants men for his service. When God wants a worker, he calls a worker. When he has work to be done, he goes to those who are already at work. When God wants a good servant, he calls a busy man. Scripture and history attest to this truth. 
You know, Moses was a very busy man. Uh, he was tending the flocks at Horeb. Gideon was extremely busy, thrashing that wheat by the wine press. Saul was busy searching out the father's last uh, beast. That's King Saul. Elisha, he was busy plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. David was very busy caring for his father's sheep. Nehemiah, he was busy being the king's cupbearer. Amos was busy following his flock. Peter and Andrew, both busy casting nets into the sea. James and John were busy mending their nets. Matthew was busy collecting taxes. William Carey was a busy man, a businessman making shoes before God called him into the ministry. We are told in Hebrews 10.24 that we consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. So we see that the church of Ephesus, they were strong in their determination. We understand that this strength was given to them as a gift from the Lord. Paul said to young Timothy that he should watch his life and his doctrine closely. He should persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. There's something about people with strong determination. You know, we just recently celebrated uh, the sad 20th anniversary of 9-11. When Todd Beamer boarded United Flight 93 on September the 11th in 2001, he had no way of knowing what events would unfold that day. He took that flight regularly as part of his job. His heroic words were two words, let's roll, and they become legendary and serve as an inspiration to millions. His heroism in overtaking the hijackers on that day and crashing that plane in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, evokes deep awe and gratitude from a shocked nation. The wife of a congressman said this, he, Todd Beamer, very well may have saved my husband's life. Oh, I'm not against strong determination, but we also must be strong in doctrine because a time has come, and I believe that time is today, when men will not endure sound doctrine, but they want to have their ears tickled. They want to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. One of the weaknesses of the church of Ephesus is they were weak in love. In verse number four, going back to Revelation, it says that you have forsaken your first love. Jesus was no longer the top priority of their lives. It was no longer Jesus, others, and yourself. They became weak in love. In East Harlem, there's a man named Carlos. Carlos was waiting for a downtown subway train in the crowded East 103rd station. It was about 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. In fact, it was Sunday morning, November 28, 2010, when a man swooned and, and fell off the platform onto the train tracks. As the man lay unresponsive on the tracks, a digital signal issued a warning that the next train would be arriving in three minutes. Despite the danger, Carlos jumped down on the tracks and made the rescue. In a subsequent interview with the New York Daily News, Carlos revealed what was on his mind as he made the jump. I was thinking, if he gets hit, I can't go to work. It's Sunday. I can't miss out. It's time and a half day. Now, we question the motivations of Carlos. He did save the man's life, 
but his motivation was kind of skewed. You know, our Lord is very concerned about our motivation for doing what we are doing. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary of yesteryear, was interviewing some some students for the work of Christ. He asked them, why do you wish to go to a foreign missionary or become a foreign missionary? One replied, because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Another said, because millions are dying without ever hearing of Jesus. Others gave very similar answers, but not what Taylor sought. He replied, all of your motives are good, but I fear they will fail you in your times of severe testing and tribulation, especially if you are confronted with the possibility of having to face death for your testimony. He said the only motive that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ love constraining or compelling for God so loved. No love, no light. I will remain that candlestick in Revelation 2.5. The church of Ephesus hated sin, but their love was only a weak love. Well, there's another church that needed to have a little work done too. That is the church of Smyrna. Although the church of Ephesus may have been weak in their love, the church of Smyrna was a church that was considered fearful. In Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11, it says to the church of Smyrna, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Well, here we see the church at Smyrna was was strong in the midst of affliction. You know, Polycarp was the bishop of the church of Smyrna. He was one day bound and burned at the stake. They stabbed at him when the fire failed to torch him. Eighty and six years, he said, I have served God. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Bring forth what you wilt. Polycarp was burned at the stake for refusing to burn incense of worship to the Roman emperor. So the church at Smyrna was strong in times of affliction. They were also strong in times of poverty. We learn this from 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Although they were strong in affliction and strong in times of poverty, they really were lacking in courage. You know, in the original television series, Superman, our favorite superhero would confidently posture himself, legs spread apart, 
fist on his hips, chest pushed out forward, while he stared down the barrel of a gun. As the bullets bounced off his chest, Superman would smile with no thought of retreat. Then something would happen that defies explanation. Once the rounds were spent, the bad guy, in desperation, would hurl the gun at Superman and the Cape Crusader would duck. Superman, the man who was fearless in the face of oncoming bullets, would cower to avoid being hit by a gun. That's kind of what we see the church here. In, in this times of affliction, they were strong, but they didn't have the courage to stand up for the, the sake of the gospel, for the truth of the gospel. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you today. We don't have time to cover the, the, the last church of Pergamos, uh, but we'll save that for another day. Well, the weekend's here. I hope that you'll be out at your place of worship this Sunday. And if you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come on to Hickory Ridge Community Church at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. I also wanted to let you know we have a wonderful ministry called the Iwana Ministry for our kids. That is every Wednesday night at 6.15. At 6.15 on Wednesday night, you can also bring your children to Awana from ages 3 all the way up through 5th grade. We also have youth group on, on Wednesday night, and that is for, for uh, teenagers that are 6th grade up through 12th grade. And we also have Gospel Project for the Adults on Wednesday night, all starting at 6.30. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.